0: and now your host entrepreneur real estate investor and apartment deal syndicator jacob ayers
1: hi and welcome to the real estate way to wealth and freedom podcast episode 364 hey welcome back happy new year i'm so glad you're here this week's guest is aaron chapman aaron is a veteran of the finance industry beginning his career in 1997 after having exited the mining, heavy equipment, operation, welding, and long-haul truck driving industry. Since entering the finance industry, his clientele have ranged from those purchasing their very first home to those people building their dream home or investing in multiple properties for long-term cash flow just like you. His expertise is in the complicated. Presently ranked number 14 in an industry of over 300,000 licensed loan originators. Aaron has closed nearly 1000 transactions every year for the past several years. Aaron is that battle worn partner every real estate entrepreneur needs to walk through the tough parts of building a real estate investment business. So today I'm happy to introduce to you Aaron Chapman. Aaron, hey, thanks so much for coming
2: on the show. Thank you, Jacob, and I appreciate you allowing me on and let me have some time with your audience, man. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Well, Aaron, let's just
1: kind of start about who you are, where you
2: come from, what you do, all that good stuff. So as you indicated, I've been in the finance industry for 23 years now and came from a completely different world. You know, I grew up on a cattle ranch, but at least didn't grow up, spent my high school years on the cattle ranch from there, graduated halfway through my senior year by the grace of God, because I cheated my ass off to get that C just to make it through. (laughs) <laughs> if I couldn't pick a lock, I don't think I would have had a diploma. And so then from there, I went to work in the oil fields of Wyoming because my dad knew, my family knew the owner of this welding company is just awesome out there. And then heavy equipment, long haul truck driving, all these things that you would reference. And then I found myself with an opportunity to work in the mines of Northern New Mexico, which was awesome. It was one of the greatest jobs I've ever had. Seven hundred feet underground, driving a tunnel. We called it a drift, but you know you're drilling. You're loaded up with explosives, you step around the corner, you blow it up, you dig it out, support the ground and do it again. It was an amazing job. They started to shut down that project and I was one of the newer guys on, so they let me go. Well, I got an opportunity to work with my dad underground. It was awesome. So after that, I came back to Phoenix Valley. I had a wife and infant son and I was looking for work. I couldn't find work to save my ass. and I was at the point of desperation where I went to try and get a $10 an hour truck driving job hauling landscape rock. Well, again, I was turned down because I was overqualified for the position. Now, as I got in my vehicle to drive away, literally wiping tears away from my eyes, I started up to head down the street to find a grocery store so I can get diapers for my son. I had a coupon for free diapers because we were in a position we just couldn't even afford that. And as I'm driving along, my gas light comes on onto my truck, so I needed fuel. Pulled up to the fuel station in front of that grocery store, put my debit card into the pump. I had no other way to pay, and I got a decline because I was overdrawn. So at that point, I rifled through my vehicle to find change. And then I started walking that parking lot of that store and that gas station for about two hours. And I found enough change to get at least a couple gallons of gas. Then I went into the store. I found the corresponding diapers. And with that, was able to buy those diapers, really just get them for free. And I'm walking out of the store and I end up face-to-face with the guy I used to work with at an equipment company running heavy equipment digging pool. He used to work in the office. I ran one of the crews. He asked me how things were and I explained what I just explained to you. At that point, he invited me to go to dinner. I couldn't afford to pay. So he said that he had a gift certificate from a client to Red Lobster. And so we went to Red Lobster the following night. And that is where he shared with me an opportunity to speak with a branch manager, a broker shop, and introduced me to the mortgage industry. So in December of that year, I went to work as a telemarketer. So from there, it was just, you know, a lot of crazy things. I've got an hour's worth of discussion we could have around a campfire about my career. But as you had pointed out, now I'm ranked in the top 20 and possibly this year, the top 10 in the industry of units closed per year with a team of 30 people. And I've closed up to nearly 1200 transactions so far this year. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's something. So, you know, how did you kind of, I mean, you've talked about how you stumbled into the mortgage and finance industry, but like, how does a guy from your background end up in this kind of industry?
2: Because you can't find a job anywhere else. Is this <laughs> point? I mean, Because nobody wants to be a telemarketer, right? That's not you're not going off in life saying, I'm going to grow up and become a telemarketer. I literally have to accept things out of necessity. And then you have to decide you're going to stick with it. And believe me, it was miserable the first five years. I was going insane mentally trying to get this built. And then you start to figure it out that you don't follow the crowd and what they do. So trying to follow everybody else and tell me what to do is amazing how many people told me how I should dress, how I should act, how I should look, how I should talk. All these things. And if you can see me now, you know damn well I didn't listen to some bitch that was telling me that because what I did was I complied with their ideas of who who I should be until one day, I think it's 2000, I'm looking around and they're all gone. There's nobody else left. It was 1999. One of the two. I think it was 99. All the people that were telling me what to do were all out of the industry in just a couple of years. If they were right, why the hell are they not here? So that's when I decided I'm doing it my way. And I started adapting and I found that I wasn't really adapting right. So I was kind of trying to be within the industry, but be myself at the same time. Because mm-hmm. in 2014, a very good friend of mine, as we're walking down the street with our wives, he owns a large insurance firm, a large wealth management firm. He puts his arm around me and he says, dude, I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm like, how's that? He goes, I'm going to let the entire world, all of our clients know that you do loans and you're going to be on our train. You're going to be working with us. So the way he described it is I get to just board their ships and sail these fruit for water. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. And he's like, he goes, one condition. I was like, what's that? Anything. He goes, you got to conform more. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He says, you need to shave, you get to buy a suit, all these things. I'm like, because at the time I had a very well-trimmed beard and I always wore black. I had black shirts and black slacks and black shoes. And he goes, I need you to basically say, I, I need to look like you. I need to look like your staff. He goes, yeah, that's our brand. I stopped for a moment. I told him, Jack, I love you, man. You're like my brother, but F you. I can't do that. When I made that decision to say that, I literally turned down a very, very lucrative future. And what I did was I climbed off of his boat. I stepped onto shore with my machete, and I decided I'm going to carve my own path in the jungle to what end I didn't know. But that's when I decided to stop wearing the slack, stop wearing stuff. I went to jeans. I went to boots. I went to my hat. And I kept trimming the beard, right? But then a situation came about that I was standing in an event. And a guy came up to me and said, hey, my beard was longer than yours yesterday. I'm like, well, mine was longer than that too. I said, get, here's the deal. I will not have trimmed it between now and the next time I see you. I haven't seen that guy in four years. And so, as <laughs> you can see, the thing is almost two and it's probably two and a half feet long right now. It touches my navel and I have to braid it. Otherwise it gets caught up in stuff. So it reminds me of my
1: dad. <laughs> so
2: it's become a brand now. I can't get rid of it. That's Awesome.
1: Well, Aaron, over the course of your career, you've become very experienced in the world of real estate investing, specifically with the financing side of things. So tell us you know, what you've done there and how you've gone on to help investors from you know, the start of your career.
2: Well, at the beginning, you just take any deal you can get, right? It doesn't matter. You just want to get a close a deal. And that's ultimately the industry as a whole. You've got over 300, between three and 400,000 people, as you stated in the intro, that are part of my industry. And they don't care if it's a first time home buyer, a VA loan, an FHA loan, a a refi or a cash out refi, they don't care. They just want to close the loan. And I'd found that I was doing that, trying to be everything to everyone. And I just discovered, I'm trying to be, you get confused on deals sometimes. You say something that doesn't count for one that does count for another. And I decided I got to get this narrowed down. And I found that I really enjoyed talking with the real estate investor because the reason they bought the house made sense to me. The reason people are buying a house to live in sometimes doesn't make sense. I guess that I'd also discovered when you try to be everything to everyone, you become nothing to no one. So I decided to become an expert somewhere. And that's where the real estate investor came in. And then I truly decided to completely eliminate any marketing or any sort of drive towards home buyers whatsoever for people for owner occupancy and working with realtors and all that was when I had somebody, I believe is 2013 or 14, was buying a house they came to me to qualify. They didn't qualify based on their credit because of an issue on their credit. Well, and the issue came up because he had to take time away from his job and couldn't pay the bills because his child was very, very sick. I said, well, give me the proof of this, and I can show that there was an extenuating circumstance and I can move forward. They never gave me the proof. What they went ahead and did is went into contract on a home. And then they convinced them and their agent convinced the seller to move out and let them prepossess the home prior to closing. And then they went ahead and put in a pool fin. And then they moved around walls inside the house and they literally remodeled it. And we were not coming up on the closing date. And like, where's our closing docs? I'm like, guys, you're not even qualified. This is the problem I have. You yeah. get to give me this documentation. And then the realtor's calling me and believe me, I'm the asshole. Everybody's telling me about how I set them up. I'm like, are you kidding me? I had no involvement in any of this. And what it really boiled down to is when they showed me the paperwork, there was no, you would have thought the child was, had cancer, was, you basically had to have full care all the time. It turned out to be a lactose intolerant, and he had to take a couple of days off work to take him to the doctor. That was their excuse for not paying bills for like months. Hardly extenuating, right? It was amazing to me what I was dealing with here, and I had to work my way through the deal. We got it closed. But one of somebody I never got even a thank you from that agent, that agent wanted to preach what a worthless group of people we were. So in reality, I just decided at that point, I can't stand work with them anymore. I want to work with somebody that I can understand why they're doing what they're doing. I targeted the real estate investor, and it was hard to make that decision. But then I started to focus. Why is an investor doing what they're doing? I get the cash flow piece, the cap rates and cash on cash returns, but there's more to it. And I started really seeing that too often I was getting calls from people saying, hey, how come my performance says this and I'm not getting that? Well, I discovered pro forma is basically... A made-up word, it's a word saying that it's a made-up document. Synonymous with a lie almost. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it completely projected, 100% projected outcome on a reality that doesn't exist yet. Right? Mm -hmm. So then I got to thinking, okay, there's got to be a better reason than what's my so-called cash-on-cash return. So I started looking at things from a different angle. And the angle I started to see is that where the real value in real estate is not the real estate, it's not the cash flow. In reality, it's the ability to leverage it. So a lot of people have fictitiously, or not fictitiously, but, but erroneously looked at the loan itself, the 30-year fixed mortgage as debt. You know, And then I've heard Kiyosaki and everybody quotes in, there's good debt and there's bad debt. I'll say, and I'll scream long and loud, and I'll get in the ring and slug it out with anybody. This is not debt. The loan on the house, that 80% loan to value loan on a single family residence with Fannie and Freddie is the greatest asset in the deal. And I'm going to do some math with you to illustrate if you're cool with that. Now,
1: hold on. Yeah, let's get into that. But I just want to repeat that again, because it's almost counterintuitive. You're saying the deal is the debt. The debt is the asset in the real estate thing. And I completely agree with you. But on the surface, that can sound crazy, the uninformed.
2: Oh, it's going to sound crazy to 99% of the people, because they're always been taught, pay off your house, pay off your mortgage, pay off this, pay off that, don't ever carry debt. Well, once you get your mindset to understanding what is debt and what is asset, it changes the dynamic significantly. And all of a sudden you're like, dude, I need to leverage the hell out of everything. You start to understand it. So we're going to get into some really, really deep stuff here. And lo- some people call it weeds. This isn't weeds at all. This is We're walking through the wheat field. This is where abundance is going to come from. There is no weeds in any of this. Now I need to take everybody who's listening, take everything out of your mind and set it on the shelf. You can go back to that error if you like later, but allow me just a few minutes to dig into your head, grab your calculator, your mobile phone, whatever it is, so you can calculate and take note. We're going to go slow through this. I'm going to bring up the numbers. You're going to write them down. You're going to check my math. Sound like a, Let's sound do like it. A plan? Yeah, sounds fun. All right, Let's buddy. do it. So we're going to start with some baseline, a baseline of $100,000 single family acquisition, 20% down. We're going to have a 30-year fixed loan on it. We're going to get a $200 a month cash flow, and we're going to have a 1% rent to value ratio. Sounds pretty standard. Pretty standard. Nothing about that is crazy, right? No. Okay. So let's just say you, and what I'm going to say is the people who are buying these homes, the real estate investor, you are now the CEO of your real estate investment firm. It is a large firm that is basically owns multiple little businesses. So each property is a business in itself. So what you have to do is decide, am I buying the right property with the right people that's going to maintain renters in it? Will it stay reasonably rented for the entire time I own it? That's the goal. So let's say you've reasonably kept it rented enough that all you do is pay the payments. That's it. Absolutely. No cash flow came in into your pocket. All went to pay off the loan. So what is the dollar amount of the loan in this scenario? I'm asking you, Jacob. Dollar amount of this loan in a scenario. $100,000 acquisition, 20% down. What's the dollar amount that we finance?
1: $80,000.
2: $80,000. All right. So everybody check the math. I agree. Hopefully everybody else concurred. That means you invested how much?
1: You invested twenty thousand
2: dollars down payment. Correct. So, if you keep it reasonably rented for the entire thirty years, who's paying off that eighty thousand? Your tenant. The tenant, exactly. So let's take eighty thousand and let's divide that by thirty because that's how many years it's going to take the tenant to pay that off. And let's get the exact to the penny. I want to the penny. Okay, let's do it. Let's I've 80, got my calculator out here. Eighty
1: thousand divided by thirty. $2,666.67.
2: Exactly. Per year. So $2,666.60. It's actually $66.66.66. 6, 6, 6, 6, 6, 6 Correct. Yeah. Because we really want to get down into it, right? So what that says is oh, averaged over 30 years, your tenant is paying down by $2,666.66, therefore adding to your $20,000, $2,666.66. Now, I realize there's an amortization table, so there's going to be some people listening here to go, oh, there's front-loaded interest and all this shit. No, no, no. We're talking about an average here, folks. Sure, yeah. That means average over 30 years, your 20000 grows by $2,666.66. You divide that into it in a percentage, it becomes 13.333333%. Where have you ever seen the opportunity for your investment to grow by 13.33% of the original investment every year? Not in any other asset class outside of real estate. Not that I have seen, because if it happened and if it's possible, it can be possible with long bombs and things like that, but consistency. Consistently over, over years, that
1: long of time is the kicker.
2: I would say that person who can pull that off is justified by standing on their roof with their pants off, showing the whole world how big their balls are, because that right there is unheard of. So we had now set that on the shelf. That growth right there now exists because you as the CEO of your business work with the right people in the right area, getting the right asset, Period. Now let's talk about another thing that we are all kind of having to deal with here is the compound interest associated with finance, right? This is where people get really caught up. We're talking about an $80,000 loan for 30 years. We're talking about, let's just say, I'm just going to throw an interest out there, 4.5. That's not what the rates are today. We're doing lower than that, but I'm just using a nominal rate. Right. Everybody gets all bent out of shape out of my rate. I'm just tell you, rates don't matter, people. You need to quit getting so concerned about that. It's not your debt anyway. This is an asset let's say a 4.5 interest rate, because I have no idea where they're going to go over the next few years. So right now at that, you would be paying $405 a month and 35 cents, $405.35 per month in principal and interest, which over 30 years is equal to $65,925.37 in interest. That is a total of $145,925.37 in principal and interest over 30 years. They're saying, borrowed 80. I'm paying 145. I don't like it. I want to pay it off. Well, let me explain something here. When we're talking about this, we have something that's called inflation. Inflation has actually something that's detrimental to us. So we got interest that we feel is detriment. Inflation is detrimental, right? But living in an inflationary environment, we get a couple of things that helps us as real estate investors. One, we get to raise rents, correct? Right. Do you know what the national average is right now for rental increases?
1: Right now, I'm sure it's much higher than in previous times. I'm going to guess on a national
2: average, 4%. I've seen it's very, very close. 3.6 is the last number I had seen. Now, right now, anybody who researches it, you're going to get some messed up numbers. They're skewed by Manhattan and other parts (laughs) of New York and they're being skewed by the Bay Area because they're dropping rents like crazy because people are moving out, right? Right. Mm -hmm. I had actually reports that people had actually had renewals done at 17% drop from the previous year just to stay in the apartment in New York. So yeah, pretty yeah. severe. So when you're talking about extreme dense population with dropping in rents, having a really heavy effect on the national numbers. So ignore the national numbers. You want to look at the numbers that, where people are really just seeing rents actually working. And that's for the majority of the rest of the United States at about 3.6. So we're going to use 3% as our number. So if we've got a 1% rent to value ratio on a $100,000 home, what's that rental amount every month? $1,000 per month. $1,000 a month. What is 3% of a thousand? Because that's what we're going to raise the rent by every year. 30 bucks. 30 bucks. Nothing sexy, right? You folks out there in New York and the barrier, that's a latte to you. You have to pay <laughs> that every day to get your mocha, whatever thing. So 30 bucks. Not a big deal. But your cash flow is how much year one?
1: So we said a uh, cash flow $200 per month in year one, $2,400 a year.
2: 2400 a year. What is the monthly cash flow in year two now? Let's see, 3% more than that. So conceivably 3% of the face amount, but that $30 translates to 230 in cash flow, right? Right. So what does your cash flow go up by percentage-wise?
1: Yeah. The 30 divided by 200. Let's see. Got me on the spot here. 15%. Yeah.
2: 15%. How sexy did 30 bucks just become? Pretty darn attractive. And if you can do that year over year, that's a 15% compound increase in your cash flow because you're raising it 3% per year. So that 1030 becomes now what, right? It goes up to right. 1,063 and it continues to compound. Well, not maybe not 1,063, but 1,060 something, right? So it continues to compound to where that 230 goes up by another 30 or 3% of the face amount, the total $1,000. You can do that math yourself and see, wait a minute, I'm getting a compound growth in my cash flow. What about the loan though? It was a $405.35 payment. Does Still the, the lender lose that with inflation? Sorry, say that again? Does the lender get to raise the payment because of the inflation?
1: (laughs) No, it's a fixed rate. It's the same in month one as the first month 360.
2: Exactly. But the one thing that's really awesome here is we live in an inflationary environment. What would you say is the rate of inflation today?
1: Well, if you ask the uh, CPI, it's insultingly low. It's probably lower than it actually is. But I think the CPI says approximately like 2.6%, 2.8%, right?
2: Something like that. Well, I'm going to do a share screen here. Okay. That
1: John Williams shadow stats. Okay. So let's talk through this for the audience members that are listening in and not watching this live. Most
2: most definitely. So take this down, guys. Go to shadowstats.com, as in shadow statistics. And what you will do when you get there, I'm going to actually log into it. And you're going to go to the alternate data tab on the toolbar. And you're going to click on that and you're going to scroll down to inflation. So what we're doing here is we're going to
1: shadowstats.com and we're looking up alternate inflation charts.
2: Correct. And so what this does. It goes all the way back in these inflation charts. You'll scroll down to the bottom chart, which is a red line and a blue line that are spreading apart before 1985. So what these are is you see that they're one on top of the other back in the early 80s when they started tracking inflation, when they were tracking all the cost of living. And slowly- as the Federal Reserve and government entities started looking at changing how they were tracking it because they discovered, wait a minute, every time there's a cost of living increase, we have to increase people's social security. We have to increase their other benefits by cost of living. So what do we do here? They re-engineered it to only track durable things that don't change much. But when you look at food costs, is our cost of food going up or going down? Going up. The the meat index alone recently has seen as much as an 18% year over year increase. Right? How about your water bill and your power bill? Is it going up or going down? Seems to always be going up. Increase? At, exact. Totally cost increases all the time when it comes to energy costs. And then what about taxes? Yeah, I've never seen them go down. And how about families? Do their costs go down when they have kids? No, I can't imagine. <laughs> they tend to not. Right? You know, their so-called tax credit doesn't help for crap. So what you're seeing here is this actual spread between those two to where they're making it look like, if you're following the red line at the bottom, that is the CPI that costs, that cost inflation is going down. But John Williams adding back in the real cost that we have to incur as humans, food costs, energy costs, shelter, right? And taxes, the things that people have to pay, you start seeing that it's actually going up closer and we've seen it higher than 10%. You're seeing it somewhere right now today, about 9%, 8 or 9% nationally. So I'm gonna say... For us as real estate investors, because we as real estate investors are a little bit more discerning with our money, I'm gonna say it's gonna be somewhere in the range of about 7% inflation. Okay. Right. So what is the dollar doing in value with inflation? It's getting weaker. It's losing its buying power significantly, right? And we're saying a 7% compound decline in with our dollar. So what I have here is a tool provided to me by the professor of accounting at Kennesaw State University. He had me come speak to the students a year ago, last month, and then we worked together and he created this tool. And now I have an app that's actually in the final stages I'll be releasing to people so they can run this calculator themselves. Okay. What we're doing is we're mirroring our deal here we're talking about. 30-year fixed, $100,000 purchase price, $80,000 loan, $405.35 per month in payments for total Mm -hmm. payments of $145,925.37. 80,000 principal, 65,925.37 in interest. But what this calculator does is it takes that 7% annual inflation that we talked about, and it recalculates the very every single dollar as it leaves your hands every payment over 30 years to see what the real value of that 145,925.37 actually is. And what that real value comes up with is $60,926.91. That's the value of those combined dollars over 30 years that you're paying the lender back with. You borrowed 80, you held onto it for your purposes, kept the cash flow, your money, that's yours. That's not theirs. If you pay them off too fast, you're giving them your money. You pay them as slowly as they accept it, and you're going to pay back less than you even borrowed. You're going to pay back even less than the interest.
1: I've never seen it put like that, Aaron, but it makes total sense when you think of it from the perspective of, okay, you're going to go out, you're going to get a loan for $405 a month today. And then you think, how easy will that be to pay back in 28, 30 years down the line? Well, if you thought about this in retrospect, 30 years ago, you go out and get a mortgage, and let's say it was $100 back then per month. 30 years later, here we are in 2020, 2021, and that same hundred dollars is still your mortgage. It doesn't feel like very much. That's a Bay Area latte, like you mentioned,
2: right? Exactly. In fact, this chart shows that four hundred five dollars a month, thirty years from now, will be equivalent to forty nine dollars and ninety four cents today. Wow. Now I've got another thing to show you. That's on John Williams Shadow Stats. What's cool about it is you actually have to have a login and you have to have an ID and subscription to be able to see this. But let's go back thirty years, nineteen ninety. I don't even know what age you were back then, man. I was born. You were born in 1990. So here I am. I was riding my skateboard actually down to actually 1990. I think I was driving by that time. I was a sophomore in high school in 1990. So $100 back in 1990. September, we're going to go December of 1990 versus December this year and see what is the buying power of $100 now compared to then. So what this tells us right here, let me see. You can only go up to September 2020. So let me change this. They have not updated it to December. So September 1990 to September 2020, 30 years later, it would take $1,187.73 to buy the same amount of goods in 1990 with $100. Wow. That's how powerful this is. No argument. This is not something people can really argue with because they know this is the fact. Anybody that's been around knows that with $100, what you could have done in the past compared to today. Now, where the government comes from with this, where the argument comes from with people is their CPI is based upon other things like technology. If to buy this today, this cell phone back in 1990 would probably have been $10,000, right? Or a right. hundred, who knows, probably more But like, well, the cost of these things are going down all this technology, but that's not what we're talking about. We don't need technology to survive. We need food, right? And food is getting way more expensive. Water is getting extremely expensive. Housing. Housing is getting extremely expensive. i lived in growing up. Sold in 2000, when was this? I think it was 19, actually 1998. My parents sold that house for somewhere right around just under 100000 like like $96,000. It's going for over $300,000 right now. That's crazy that has been going on. It's not even been 30 years yet.
1: And you think of it in a way that you can relate to your own life for the audience members out there. Think of something like maybe your grandparents. I know my grandparents have lived in the same home since early 70s. They paid it off early, which we're talking about not doing, but they didn't have that advice back in the 70s, right? But their house is obviously paid off now. And I think they paid approximately $19,000 for it. It's a four-bedroom, two-bathroom, brick home, nice home. No telling what it's worth today, but way more than $19,000. So you just think about those things in a tangible, relatable way. And I'm sure you've got those examples in your own life you can look at. And just to prove this point.
2: Oh, there's tons of examples people can go to. And for those who are still kind of wrapping their head around this, I like to describe it in a different way and say like you and I are neighbors, right? And you pull up with this big, badass brand new Ford diesel with all the trimmings, right? It's a $100,000 truck. And I'm like, dude, I'm getting ready to go out of country and I'll be back and forth only once a month. I love the truck. I want it. And you're like, dude, I just bought this thing. I'm like, no, I got a deal for you. I'm like, Jacob, I've got a safe full of gold bars, right? I'm going to give you $100,000 in gold right now, right? It's yours. Here's this, but it's my truck sign it over to me. You get to drive it. You get to use it while I'm not here, but I'm in town. It better be in my driveway. And then 10 years from now, when I'm done and I'm not doing that job anymore, it stays mine. You get to keep the gold. You get to use the truck, but that truck is mine when I come back, every time I'm back. As long as I'm there, it's mine. You can use it all you want. Otherwise, is that a good deal for you? Heck yeah. Give me the gold bars. Hell yeah. Because what's happening with the gold's value over time? it's most likely increasing. Most likely increasing. Even if it decreases, it still has some huge value, right? What is the truck's value doing over time? Most
1: likely decreasing.
2: Decreasing significantly. Hell, it's worth 20% what you paid for it, 20% less than what you paid for it when you left the lot, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So you literally have a solid asset that's growing while you are utilizing something that's declining. You're using somebody else's money. That's the truck. The loan is the truck. That loan that you borrowed is depleting in value over time, but you got the asset with it, which is the house that's growing in value over time. It's also creating cash flow. So when you wrap your head around in that particular instance, if you can, I don't know, maybe I maybe I explained it a way that doesn't make sense, but you start to see that is hard to argue against long-term set financing in an inflationary environment. you have basically taking two things: compound interest and inflation, both negative things apart. You put them together in a small space, beat the hell out of each other in your benefit.
1: I love it. Aaron, I wish we would have released this episode before Thanksgiving so people would have this material as they're sitting around the Thanksgiving table with their family. I know I found myself in that exact scenario talking with my younger sister about all the quote-unquote debt I have on my rental properties, right? And she was just stressed on my behalf about this debt I incur on the rental properties. And I was just trying to explain to her you know, what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and it can be a really hard thing to explain to somebody looking from the outside in on why you would want to incur so much debt. So do you have like a real like simplified way to explain to somebody that's maybe not in real estate because most of our listeners understand these concepts and maybe you're explaining them a bit differently but they understand them for the most part. Maybe their struggle is explaining it to someone
2: else. Well, I mean it's really no different than pick anything, right? Any sort of commodity or whatever. Somebody gave you something and somebody else pays them back and you get to keep it, that's ultimately what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Somebody gave it to you, there's a price associated with it, but somebody else just for mere use of it here and there pays for it, but you get to keep it it's yours. It's kind of hard to explain it any other way than that. I wish I had a simpler explanation. That is a good way, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Other than, and that's just something I haven't come off off the top of my head because I've never had anybody ask me in that particular way. Because you know when you show the numbers and they see it this way and they understand what inflation is, and you go into these two different sites, you start to understand, well, okay, wait a minute. Now it's starting to make sense. And the easiest way for anybody to do this and to start to understand it, just buy one property. That's it. Doesn't have to be overly expensive, 60, 70 grand. I can't get one financed under a loan amount under 50 grand because I start violating you know, low-income housing regulations for cost to loan size ratio failures. But you know, that you start seeing those, you know, smaller loans, 70 grand, focus on a $70,000 house and see if you don't start getting it after a few months.
1: The best way to learn is definitely just get out there and take action and do it yourself. Right.
2: Yeah. There's this old saying, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. Go experience (laughs) something. Right. And that's where kind of one of my sales pitches for me as a loan originator. And people ask me what's different between you and everybody else. Cause there's a lot of us out there. One, if you can't tell by looking at me, well, then you're having a hard time figuring out differences. Secondly is when I'm doing a thousand transactions a year, hundreds a month, I get to see where people fail and people succeed with their real estate investment business. I get to offer practical data on how people are making decisions that make them successful. right? Have you ever heard in your history lessons in school who made the most money during the gold rush? No, I don't think I've heard that. It was the outfitters, the guys who sold the picks and shovels, right? Because everybody bought a pick and shovel, not everybody struck gold, right? Okay. So that's what I am. And that's what you are in a way with what you're doing here. We are outfitters. We are selling them picks and shovels to go dig for gold. The difference between us and those guys back in the 1800s is I really care where they sink their pick and shovel into the ground because if they don't find gold, all I sold them was gardening tools. I don't make money gardening. I don't have a gardening business. I have a gold and wealth business. So my interest is them finding as much gold as possible, because if they do, they're going to need personnel. They're going to need trucks. They're going to need heavy equipment. They're going to need a big damn train to haul everything, because if they do, who do they come to for those tools? They come to me. So ultimately, my wealth grows because of their wealth growth. But if they fail, because I failed to prep them properly and where to dig and how to dig and the things they need to think about while they're digging then their failure compounds over to me. It actually bleeds to my world and their failure creates my failure. And I violently oppose failure.
1: I love it, Aaron. It just goes to show, I love your mindset behind that. I love the abundance mentality you've got, but it goes to show in real estate, you can create win-win scenarios and win scenarios right across the board for people I think sometimes people have a negative connotation of wealth and trying to amass wealth and build financial freedom for themselves because they think there's this finite supply of money. And if you go take more than your fair share, then there's less for other people. In reality, we know that's not the case.
2: Well, it's true. And a lot of people, they do get caught up in, not to take it down a religious path or anything In like fact, I do hear a lot of people will say, well, you know, I mean, being wealthy is not what it's all about. You know, Christ was a pauper and whatever. And like, I get that, but the guy was the most powerful person on the planet. He could have created whatever he needed, whatever he wanted it, right? He had all the elements at his disposal. So ultimately, we're a creative being. We're supposed to have all the elements at our disposal. Somehow, there's nothing wrong with having element at your disposal. What is wrong is how you treat it, right? So when you are the type of person that uses it only for yourself and against other people, that's where I see that there's a problem. There's this, this saying in the Bible, you know, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Too often, people look at that as, I need to be poor, I need to be humble, I need to live in a shack, and I need to drive a 1981 Honda Accord. No, that's not what Meek means. Meek means that you are powerful, that you have the strength, you have the ability to do certain things, but you choose not to for the benefit of another. You know, I've had many opportunities with the background you're seeing right here. This cabin that I have in Missouri, this is a chapel built in the 1800s. I got taken advantage of by people that were doing the rehab on it and cost me tens of thousands of dollars, several times. I could have easily crushed them because I have the monetary means to just take them apart and steal their company and their homes from them. But I did not. I chose not to. I took the benevolent path saying, one of something, maybe they needed that. But now I know never to do business with them again. And I did find somebody else who's one of the most Christ-like men I've ever met in my life who finished it all off for me. And it led me to him, who is now a constant part of my life, helping me with other cabins I'm rehabbing in the Ozark. So ultimately, we have to look at it from the right way. And I believe when you're looking at it from benevolent and a meek, a truly meek attitude, when you understand what meekness is, that's when things continue to compound in your world. And quite frankly, there's so much good in my world. I can't contain it right now. I got 575 loans in my pipeline. I have no idea how we're going to get it all done, but we're getting it done.
1: I love it. Aaron, let's talk about advice to real estate investors as they're going out and trying to get more loans, or maybe their first loan for an investment property. What's some like actionable advice you have for somebody who's maybe preparing their financial statements or preparing just themselves to go out and get that investment loan?
2: So ultimately, you've got to pick who you want to work with on the lending side and you got to get out to them. You've got to submit a loan application. You've got to go through the process of a pre-qualification. Doesn't necessarily, and if anything, you just have an initial phone call. I have a phone call with every single person that starts out working with us. I have a team of 30 people that handle all the nuts and bolts. I have the mindset call. We discuss a little about what is the probability of their ability to qualify? What's your credit score like? What's your credit history like? What's your income like? What's your debts? The easy way to figure this out is figure out what your gross monthly income is. So let's say it's $5,000 a month in gross monthly. And let's say you have you know house payment, car payment, and credit cards, but that equals up to being about $3,000 a month. You are already in excess of 50% of your gross income. You are not going to get qualified. What you want to be able to target is between your home, whether it be rent or a principal interest tax and insurance payment, plus any debt, like cars, credit cards, student loans, whatever those monthly payments are. And I don't care if your student loans are deferred. That doesn't count anymore. You got to look at what the payment will be. Okay. If that exceeds 45% of your gross monthly income, then you are at risk of not being able to get an approval. So you want to eliminate the debt, not your house payment, but your debt, cars, credit cards, all those things down to the point where the monthly payment is below at least 45% of your gross monthly income. That's the starting point. Can I pause you there real quick? So it becomes a, a bit of
1: a conundrum in my experience with the debt piece. And that we're talking about is your DTI, your debt to income, right? You're going out to the bank to get a loan, right? Which is debt, but you need to not have debt to qualify for the debt. You need to have a low debt to income to get more debt.
2: But the goal is to get more debt as a real estate investor. So it's a bit of a catch-22 there, right? It can be a catch-22 because when you're looking at that as debt, and most banks will look at real estate investment loans as debt, but we and Fannie Mae and many others look at this as, if you have a current housing expense and you're maintaining that under that 45% ratio, we can count the rents on the property you're buying to offset the expense of that house. Therefore, your debt does not go up.
1: Okay, so If you're right, buying the
2: home for $100,000, right? we've right? got this one right here, this same illustration, $100,000 with $1,000 a month in rent, and I can use 75% of that 1,000 as usable income for you to offset the expense. That's $750, right? So $750 of usable income, the 25% is maintenance and vacancy that we have to factor in we don't have a track record on the house yet. So with $405.35 a month in payment on this principal and interest, we're going to factor in taxes and insurance. Let's say it's 650 total, right? Right. So you're making 1000 a month with 650 in total expense on the home. We can use 750 as qualifying income on it. We back the 650 out of the 750 because it's paid by your tenant and we have a $100 difference. Now I can't give that to you as income because you don't have a track record that's making his income, but we can erase the debt with it. Therefore, your debt to income ratio is not affected. Now, if you're renting it for less and that 650 monthly payment on that was say, and your usable income was 600, I have to hit you with the $50 in debt on it every month. Right. That's right. what we're looking at. So in reality, you can continue to qualify in perpetuity as long as your debt to income ratio on your personal expenses and your personal housing is at a certain percentage and you're buying cash flowing properties and you have the ability to keep them rented.
1: Sure. Now, one more catch 22 I found in my experience, Aaron, comes from the tax side of things. As real estate investors, we're blessed with having the ability to write off and depreciate our asset and write off many of our expenses from our income, right? And if you do too much of that, then it does decrease your income and increases your debt to income ratio. So there's also another balancing act there between taking a lot of write-offs and depreciating your asset. And I know lots of lenders will allow you to add back on that depreciation, but can you talk about any kind of hurdles there one might should be
2: aware of? Well, we can get really, really aggressive with our taxes, right? So depreciation, Mm -hmm. you have to add back in. It was not an actual expense, right? Right. Um, Even your lender understands that. Right. most lenders should. Some lenders don't. Believe me, that right, no two lenders are alike. Sometimes they'll take the other route because they want to be conservative, right? So just know that that does happen a lot. You can add that back in. There are certain things you can add in. Depreciation is always one of those things you should be able to add back in. Okay. But If you're claiming actual expenses, travel expenses associated with the property, you know any other repairs, all those things, we have to hit you with it. So yeah. if you're showing on your schedule e on your taxes, you have a bunch of expenses. No, that can cut into it. So run the formula yourself. Look at this whole scenario when you run it. And I am have a calculator going out to people on that same app where you can look at your expenses and add that all in. And there's nothing wrong with adjusting your expenses to the point where it zeros out, but not going negative. The second it goes negative on your taxes, we got to hit you with that. But if you zero out after you add back in, you can go negative with your depreciation. When you add the depreciation back in yourself and your own math and it zeros out, then you're fine because the property's taking care of itself.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Now, when you're calculating your debt to income ratio and you're trying to figure out, hey, where should I land at? What's my debt to income? Managing your own debt to income. How granular does the lender look? Now they're looking at your housing costs. They're looking at your payments, your debt payments, credit cards, house, car, like you mentioned, right? But are they getting down to the level of looking at how many subscriptions do you have? Do you subscribe to Netflix and YouTube TV? And how granular does that debt-to-income calculation get?
2: That doesn't get too granular in those respects because that's why you're at a 45 percent ratio, right? Because the other 65 percent is to cover expenses like that. Oh, okay, so gotcha. your living expenses, right? So that's why you have this ratio, give you more of your income towards expenses than debt, right? But What if you're saying, well, I've got this as a business cost. Netflix is a business cost because I do research and I watch people's shows on it, right? You're writing all this stuff off. Now you're putting in a position where you're eliminating income because it's costing you that money to do your business. So remember that every write-off you put in or everything you claim as a write-off is going to impact the bottom line income of your business. So those are the things to consider. And what I tell people is, sure, you don't want to pay a ton of taxes right now, But the ability to get 10 finance properties and get all the write-offs associated with the interest that somebody else is paying, the depreciation, all these things will give you way more benefit in the long run than trying to save that extra couple grand in the meantime before buying those houses. That couple grand is going to cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years because you're too greedy today to see where your opportunity lays tomorrow.
1: Right, right, and I think that's a conundrum many real estate investors face. Is there a rule of thumb on what categories or what expenses count towards that DTI, like housing cost, vehicle cost?
2: It's credit all, cards, all bad debt. Things, all of those things. It can anything that is a debt or a payment like that can anything you write off in your taxes can. The only reason depreciation is add can be add back in because it's not a real expense. All you're doing is taking an asset that you bought. We already have the expense of the asset because you bought it. We have it already factored in. And now you're writing off the fact that it's declining in value because of the fact the structure is eroding slowly over time. Well, it's really kind of a fictitious thing because no structure, you just mentioned your grandparents are still in the same house. It's not eroded. They just have to keep it cleaned <laughs> yeah, up, right? It's better than now, ever. Interesting how when you walk away from it, nobody's living it, they erode. That's kind of an interesting dynamic about life. But you know, so in reality, you have to be cautious about what you do write off and that's where you got to get with your CPA, you got to check with them before you file your taxes. If you're getting really aggressive, have a lender take a look at it and let them say whether or not you qualify or you don't. You know, yeah, the bottom line here is you've got to look at what your debts are and how much income you need to be able to make that work.
1: This is such an important piece of real estate investing, Aaron, and it's a fairly complicated subject one that, you know, you've spent a whole career figuring out and learning and helping educate other investors. But if somebody wants to kind of like better prepare themselves for future loans, future Debts for real estate and growing their real estate business. Do you have any kind of one place you like to point people to, or do you have a resource that you like?
2: What I like is really get in control of yourself because we can only control one thing in our world and that's our minds, right? That's it. The only thing, go here. That is where you go. It's called the Master Key System by Charles Handel. It's $3.99 okay. on Amazon. That's it. You go there, you start there. What this is is a correspondence course created in 1910. A person would write in, pay for it, you would get a letter, and you would read that letter every day for a week, and you would do the mental exercise associated with it, slowly being able to get your mind to focus where you want it to go instead of drifting around about things that don't get you anywhere. In fact, Joe Dispenza has a TED talk. It's TEDx Tacoma. Do a Google search for Joe Dispenza, TEDx Tacoma, and he shows you what's going on in the human mind when you're thinking about something you get an aha moment, then you talk yourself out of that great idea. And then you can't remember the idea the next day. All so what been happens there. There is he shows you how to focus your mind on that good thought. And it actually is connecting a neuron to a neuron. And then you can think as you concentrate on it, the natural adhesive on that neuron pulls from the old error, uh, the old thoughts that you had wired in the erroneous thoughts, the prejudices, the wrong things that, Your uncle told you at a family reunion and those fall away and you can't remember the error anymore. You only remember the new truth. So he teaches you in that how to control your brain. And Charles Hanel basically instructed you on how to do it way back in 1910 or 1912. And so it's a 24 week process, but I've done it several times. And let me tell you, when I started doing that, I was doing maybe 20 transactions a month and I was focusing my energy on where I'm going to go and not just my energy, my mind, my ability to think about my business, create. I went into a creative pattern with that. And last month was 18 working days in November. Just 18, I closed 114 transactions. You think something happened with this damn book?
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. (laughs) Well, Aaron, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you on the podcast. We could go on and on and on, but let's go ahead and for the sake of time, wrap up. We like to end every episode with a lightning round, just a series of questions we fire at you. Are you up for it?
2: Fire away, man. All
1: right, The right. First question is What was your biggest hurdle getting started? And let's say the world of real estate finance or real estate investing. And what'd you do to overcome that?
2: My biggest hurdle at the time was looking like a child. You know, I came into 22 years old, 23 years old. I looked like I was 17. People saw me face to face and they had a hard time. How did I overcome it? I grew a damn beard. <laughs> Advice to everyone out there grow a beard. <laughs> exactly. That was the biggest hurdle starting out, honestly. Or in that, and just I didn't have the understanding of it. I had to learn it. Right,
1: right. Aaron, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success?
2: I get up every single morning at 4.30 or earlier. I drop my ass in my... Well, I have prayer first. I go straight to my chair and I start with reading scripture and the Master Key System and other books that are going to help me to focus my mind and energy where I need to go.
1: I love it. Aaron, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day?
2: Not necessarily, other than I do use a website called ROMWOD, range of motion workout of the day. I have to stretch every single day. I've been in I've broken over 50 bones in my life. And so I have to work on my body every single day to make it work.
1: Yeah. Staying active, right? We'll link the resource you pulled up in the middle of our interview, but that was, what was the name of that website? One more time.
2: Romwa.com. Sorry. sorry,
1: The one we were looking at the
2: charts on that was. Oh, that resource doesn't exist. That is I'm creating an app around that. Now there is, okay, you're talking about shadowstats.com.
1: Shadowstats.com as yeah, well. There's about. the
2: calculator that I had. That's, I'm still formulating the thing, but it's John. It's shadowstats.com. And the economist who owns that, who created that is John Williams.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, we'll link that in our show notes. Thanks for that. Aaron, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why you mentioned The Master Key System?
2: Is there anything else? Oh yeah. So there's a couple of them that I'd recommend. The other is uh, Napoleon Hill's Outwitting the Devil. Amazing read. The other is these four. I wrote these. I actually, of course, yeah. You go to Amazon and just look up QJO Initiative, Aaron Chapman, because that's, a, I don't have a book series. I call it an Initiative, the Quit Jerking Off Initiative is what it is. Because book number three is a title, Quit Jerking Off, for every reason that I could possibly think of, because people waste their time and energy on all kinds of things, right? This is a matter of you need to focus your time on things of profit, things of value, right? Things of connection to other people. And so I've got I've written over 300 pages. What I do is I release one chapter at a time. I wrap it in a cover, 30 pages or less, and I send that out. I don't keep the royalties from these four books. It goes to the Len Foundation, which is has to do with cerebral palsy. Now with every loan that I close, if you go to my website, AaronBChapman.com, I'm going to ask every investor to do this. When you close on an investment, whether it was with me or not, go to my website, scroll down, you'll see a donate button. I donate $50 for every closing that I have of my loan. So several thousand dollars a month. And every one of my clients I asked to do the same. And we're donating tens of thousands of dollars per month to Operation Underground Railroad. What they do is they are former CIA, former FBI, former special forces, they're working and they're infiltrating human traffickers across the globe and buying children from them till they figure out where they are and they take them down with local government. Money that we donate to buy these kids out of you know, slavery.
1: Awesome. That's AaronBchapman.com. Go there if you close along with Aaron or without. Regardless, go there, let Aaron know. That's so great. Aaron, last question in the lightning round. If you're to go back and give advice to your 20 year old self to get started in the real estate world, what would you tell yourself?
2: Enjoy where you're at right now. I look back at a lot of things and I didn't take the time to be present. I'm so busy living in tomorrow, I completely missed what's happening right now. And so I have missed a lot of great opportunity in my life because I was so worried about how am I going to build things. And now I still fight with that. I still deal with that problem.
1: Yeah, great advice. Well, Aaron, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you on the podcast. I know we've got to wrap up here, but before we do, is there any parting
2: piece of advice that you'd like to leave with the audience members? Yeah, if you're not picking up books, pick the damn things up. Get some books and get started. It's gotta be good books. Fill yourself with good mental information. You know, people are creatures of habit. You're gonna have bad habits or good habits. So you might as well make good habits and become their slave. Get up early. I truly believe, and this will be my parting words, I believe that there's this big foot that's kicking our ass every single day, this big, ominous foot walking around. And I believe the big the foot gets up at 7.30. If you're getting up at 7.45 and running to work and your ass is getting kicked all day long, got to get up before the foot does. That's why I'm up at 4.30. I start on my terms. I love it. Aaron, hey, where can people go to learn more about you? Go to AaronBChapman.com. You can also go to YouTube, which is youtube.com slash quit jerking off. I've created an initiative there instead of a podcast. We go out, four-wheeling, hunting, rock crawling, long-range shooting with people. And we have an interview with them around the campfire like we just did. Episode 10, I had the opportunity to sit in a hunting blind with Adam Benetieri after he left the colt. Talk about his life. And it was an awesome, awesome time.
1: Really cool. We'll link all that in the show notes. Aaron, hey, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Look forward to having you back on in the future. Thanks, Jacob.
2: Appreciate you, brother. Take care.
1: All right. That wraps up this week's conversation with our guest, Aaron Chapman. Hey, what a straight and to the point interview that was. That's Aaron's style. Sometimes that's totally needed in your advice to practical things like loans and debt and balancing all of these things in the world of real estate investing. And that's what you get with Aaron. I hope you got so much value from this podcast. If you want to learn more about anything we mentioned in the conversation, you can always find those as always in the show notes, or you can visit www.jacobairs.com If you want to connect with Aaron, you can go to www.aaronbchapman.com. That's once again in the show notes as well. Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning in week in and week out to listen to this podcast and invest in yourself. After all, that's the best investment one can make. So keep it up. Reach out to me. Let me know how you're doing. I love talking about this stuff. If you want to do that, the best place to find me these days is on Instagram or at www.jacobairs.com Until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want.